Take the road up through the mystic mountains, past the fantastic fishing fields and fountains, three days through the titan woods whose trees glare down through leafy hoods, crawl in the darkness of the biting caves, it's more dangerous the other ways, then finally find yourself later or sooner in the hidden valley town, Ben Luna. Lillian was so stunned with shock, she thought she must be dreaming. She even pinched the skin on her left leg to try and wake herself up. But of course, nothing happened, unless you count the pinching sensation and the fact that she didn't wake up. Moments ago, she had seen a strange secretion seep from the moon and down the side of the mountain above her and trickling through the mouth of the great padder stone, Ben Luna's famous toad statue. All of this she could remember clearly. She had seen a strange man gather the liquid in small bottles, and as if all that wasn't bizarre enough, she was now witnessing a stone toad open its eyes and look around. Although the moon was still very bright in the sky, it was the middle of the night and Lillian had to keep adjusting her eyes in the darkness. But no matter how many times she blinked or looked away, she was sure that the toad's eyes were open and moving. It blinked several times, apparently also getting used to the dim light. And with each blink, Lillian could hear the soft tap of stone on stone, like when you drop a rock on a marble floor. She found her muscles slowly waking up after being paralysed with fear. She wondered whether or not to run or to jump down and hide, but she did neither of these things. She only watched, raptured to the spot. The strange man, by contrast, seemed more relaxed. He was looking at the padder stone, but he was still moving and seemingly waiting for it to do something. Eventually it looked down and saw him standing just beyond the pond where seconds before water had been flowing in from its mouth. The two locked eyes and waited. Finally, the great stone toad shifted its heavy, bolder body and spoke. Its voice was a deep, wet croak and although its mouth moved with the words, it seemed as though its voice was coming from somewhere deep within the mountain. You again, it said to the stranger. It didn't seem surprised or angry. It was just as if it was stating a fact. It might as well have said, it's night time. The stranger's voice was softer, but Lillian could just about make it out. Me again, he said. I'm sure I've changed these past ten years. You were a young man not moments ago to me, replied the padder stone. Indeed, and younger still the time before that. I must have been just a lad of fifteen the first time I came here. The great stone toad shifted and almost smiled. It seemed to be laughing. <laughs> you were so frightened and alone. I remember when hundreds would gather to greet me when I woke. I'm sorry for my secrecy. You do deserve the attention of hundreds. You are truly splendid, Gorakia. But while I have my work to finish, I'm afraid I must come alone. Again the toad laughed. <laughs> alone, it said. Are you sure, Cromwell? Even in the darkness, Lillian could see the colour drain from the man's face. 
His eyes widened to the size of plates as he whipped and whirled around, desperately seeking an intruder. Lillian knew that she would be spotted any second. Without waiting for that to happen, she turned and ran back, back down the hill, through the trees and back through Ben Luna, back past the Starver Church and the Fox and Octopus Inn. She was not breathing, she was not thinking, she was only moving as fast and far as she could. Her body finally getting its wish of fleeing granted by her mind and moving so quickly she almost ran headlong into a couple stumbling out of a doorway. She could hear a faint, watch it, from the man, but it was already fading into the distance behind her as she ran further and faster. Finally, she saw her house. She saw the comforting light in the kitchen like a beacon guiding her home in the night. As she reached her front door, she paused for a second to catch her breath. Had that really just happened, she thought? Or was her mind playing tricks on her? She replayed the entire event over in her head, remembering every word, every detail. What was she going to tell her parents? Or should she tell them? They definitely wouldn't believe her. She wouldn't even blame them for that. If Kilda, her friend from town, ran up to her right now and said that he'd seen a tree just wake up and ask him directions to the bakery or something, she wouldn't believe him for a second. She was still asking herself what to do when she opened her kitchen door and came face to face with her mum, her dad and brother Thomas sat at the kitchen table. Lillian, her mother got up and almost fell down to hug her. Lillian could feel the warmth of the stove on her mother's woolen jumper. She'd been so distracted by everything she hadn't realised how cold she was. Her shoes were soaked through and her smock was wet up to her knees. Her fingers began to tingle as the door closed behind her and she warmed up. Everyone's face in the kitchen looked worried. Her father spoke first. Where have you been? he asked. Lillian realised she must look half crazy. She was about to answer. She even moved her lips to speak. But then she thought about all the questions she would get. The worried looks, the side glances at each other as she would be pressed more and more for information. The last thing she wanted in that moment was all of that. So she simply said, Out. Her father looked like he'd been slapped by a wet fish. Out? Yes, I know that, but where? Just around town. I'm sorry I ran off. I was upset. Hello, Brother Thomas. The church brother smiled his warm smile and pulled a chair from the kitchen table. Your parents were worried, he said. But I know how strong and resourceful you are. We've actually just been talking about your qualities, and we have a few ideas we'd like you to listen to. How does that sound? As a wave of tiredness crashed over her, Lillian thought that that sounded just awful. I'm... She started to speak, but she could barely find the strength to keep her eyes open. She stumbled forward and almost lost her footing. Look at her, pleaded her mother. She can barely stand up. Rue, why don't you go to bed? I'm sure this can all wait until morning. Brother Thomas, you can come back tomorrow, can't you? Lillian heard him agree, but his voice seemed far away now. Her knees finally buckled, and the next thing she knew, she was in her father's arms, being carried upstairs to bed, just like all those years ago when she was just a little girl. She was just a little girl. She woke up to the sound of voices coming from downstairs. 
A sunbeam was sneaking in through her curtains, and Lillian could see tiny specks of dust dancing in it. It fell onto the foot of her bed, where her feet were wrapped in blankets. She didn't remember how she got into bed, and she definitely didn't remember putting her pyjamas on. She flushed with embarrassment, as she realised her dad must have helped her put them on. Last night's events came flooding back in her mind. Only now, they seemed even stranger, even more like a dream. Could it have all been a dream? She thought. The clinking sounds of spoons and teacups echoed up the wooden staircase, and Lillian thought she'd best get up and head downstairs. She glanced around her room before opening the door. It was the room she'd always had. There were toys in the corner she hadn't played with in years. There were pictures on the walls she'd done when she was three years old. Looking around, Lillian had an odd feeling, like this wasn't really her room. It was a child's room. After breakfast, she thought she would come back and tidy a few things. She threw on some old clothes, a green smock, and some grey stockings, ran a brush through her hair, opened her door and started making her way downstairs. The voices from the kitchen grew louder with each step. She heard her mother's voice and another man's. It wasn't her father's, his was much deeper. She rolled her eyes at the realisation. Creatures and curses, she thought. Doesn't Brother Thomas ever take a day off? With that, she opened the kitchen door. The smell of bread and honey hit her as she waved good morning to her mother. Ah, there she is. Good morning. Would you like some warm milk and honey with your breakfast? Lillian nodded, rubbing her eyes and yawning as she did. She noticed a figure, with their back to her, sat at the kitchen table. Ah, yes, said her mother. I don't think you two have met yet. Lillian, this is Mr. Attercop. Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't catch your first name. Lillian's eyes came into focus just in time to see a cloak, black as the night sky, shift and turn towards her. Cromwell, my lady, and you must be Lillian. Your mother has been telling me all about you. Lillian froze to the spot. She was about to shout out or run away, but this man, this Mr. Attercop, was fixing her with such an intense stare she dared not move. His small, dark eyes seemed to be willing her to play along. He was acting as if he'd never seen her before, and his eyes were suggesting she do the same. They stared each other down like dueling knights while Lillian's mother pottered around the kitchen. Now, where did I put that lavender honey? Th there's fields of lavender down in the valley in the spring, you know. If you find a beehive near there, you get this incredibly fragrant honey. I have a jar somewhere for special occasions. I do not wish to impose. Plain forest honey will suit my needs just as well. Mr. Atticop spoke without blinking or breaking eye contact with Lillian. He jerked his head slightly towards the empty chair next to him, motioning Lillian to sit down. His regal clothes and perfect posture seemed very out of place, here amongst the kitchen bric-a-brac and their family's teapot collection. Lillian slowly went to sit down. She looked around for the man's bag, the one he had the night before, the one in which he had placed the 18 bottles of that strange silver water, but she couldn't see it anywhere. There you go, my love. Lillian's mother placed a cup of warm milk in front of her and started slicing a loaf of bread. Mr. Atticott knows Brother Thomas, isn't that right? Ah, yes. I've known him for many years. I saw him this morning, in fact, and he suggested I come here to meet you all. 
Lillian's mother was still rushing around the kitchen. It looked like she was getting ready to leave. Yes, and we're hoping, Lily, that you'll listen to what he has to say. Now, I have to rush off. There's a broken beam at Frieda's place. Your father's already there, so I'm going to go and meet him. Mr. Atticop, please help yourself to anything you wish. There's plenty of bread left. Rue? She knelt down beside Lillian. Please, just listen, and we'll talk later, OK? But, Mama... Lillian wanted to stop her going. She wanted to tell her everything, but her mother was already standing and making to leave. No buts, my love. You don't have to decide anything today, but just, well, keep an open mind. That's all. Goodbye, you two. See you later. And with that, she was gone. Out of the kitchen door, in a flash of red hair, leaving Lillian with this stranger, which Lillian thought to be slightly irresponsible. Was he really a friend of Brother Thomas? How could anyone be sure? The two sat there in silence whilst this strange man, this Mr. Atacop, ate some bread and drank some milk. He seemed very relaxed, but then again, why wouldn't he be, thought Lillian. He was enjoying a free breakfast in a warm kitchen, and it's not like Lillian could be any threat to him. She just stared. She wanted to ask questions, but she couldn't put her finger on which one. She thought she could start with, what in the fiery depths are you doing in my house, when he spoke first. Wouldn't you like to know what he said? He raised his grey eyebrows inquisitively and calmly wiped crumbs away from his beard. Lillian knew who he meant, of course. I heard him, she whispered. Yes, but you ran away. We had a long and pleasant conversation after you left. Not many people get the chance to speak with such a being. It's unfortunate that your fear bested your curiosity. For a brief moment, Lillian felt a pang of regret. In the light of day, it seemed silly to have run away. An idea popped into her head, and she was about to suggest something when the man interrupted her thought again. Ah, no, I'm afraid you can't go back tonight. The conditions for him to awake are very specific. I haven't done the exact calculations, but I wager the next night won't be for at least five or six years. Lillian dropped her head in disappointment. At least it hadn't all been a dream, she thought. Now, your mother and father, continued Mr. Atacop, they weren't asking me any questions about any giant toads, so I can assume that you haven't told anyone what you saw last night? They would think I was crazy, shrugged Lillian. Indeed, they might. However, there are people in this world, perhaps even in this town, who not only might believe you, but may try and learn all they can, to the extent that your own safety and health would not stand in their way. Lillian sat up. Fear began feeling its way back into her stomach. What do you mean? she asked. Well, well, let's just say you told someone about last night, and they told someone else, and that person wanted to know more. Who would they ask? Me replied Lillian. Exactly. So, then let's say you tell them everything you saw and everything you know, only they either didn't believe you or wanted to make absolutely sure you were telling the truth. Most people would simply give you money or something you wanted. Some people might not be so kind. Lillian understood. Whatever she was mixed up in here, there was clearly a lot at stake, or else this man, this Mr. Atacop wouldn't be telling her all this. He didn't seem to be threatening her in any way, simply warning her. 
His manner was confusing. Most people smiled and spanned their words in such a way that made her feel like she was being talked down to. This man wasn't treating her like a child. He seemed to be simply telling her the truth. Lillian wanted to tell him that she wasn't scared, that she was the bravest girl in her class, and that only two nights ago she'd done something no one else would even dare to do. But now it didn't seem like the right time. Suddenly, Lillian's courage returned, and with it, her curiosity. What was that stuff? The silvery water stuff that came down the mountain. It looked like... She almost didn't want to say it for seeming silly. It looked like it came from the moon. A smile appeared on Mr. Atkop's face. It was as if some suspicion had just been confirmed. You don't seem worried about what I've just told you, Lillian. Why should I be worried? I'm not going to tell anyone, so why would anyone want to know more? And if you were going to hurt me, you'd probably have done it by now, so... Mr. Atticop said nothing. He just stared incredulously at this brave, red-headed child. How old are you? he asked finally. I shall be thirteen in three weeks. I'm not a kid, you know. Now, stop changing the subject. You've already threatened me by saying that people might want to hurt me in order to find out more about last night, but I'm not so thick as to not realise that that's just you wanting to keep it a secret. If someone wanted to know about last night, they'd quickly realise I was there by accident. I wasn't even wearing a coat. You, you were there on purpose, which means you knew what was going to happen. So all I'd have to say to anyone who was asking is, you know that Mr Atticop, bearded bloke with a bald head? Yeah, that's the one. I'd ask him if I were you. He's the one with 18 bottles of moon juice in his pockets. This outburst left Mr Atticop stunned. In the three seconds following its end, he decided on two things. One was that he had underestimated this girl's intelligence, and two, that was never going to happen again. Fine, he said, breathing out and relaxing. His original plan of ensuring her silence and leaving had failed, but his powerful, calculative mind was quickly formulating a new plan. Last night... You witnessed a rare awakening of an ancient and preternatural being, yet you've astutely made the connection that this would not have been possible without the appearance of the... what was it you called it? Moon juice? While I do enjoy that name, it's not strictly accurate. I refer to it as essence. Lillian cocked her head in confusion. What does it do? she asked. Mr. Atticop seemed reluctant to answer this straight away. You know... Your parents are under the impression I'm here because I'm looking for someone to help me with my work. One conversation with Brother Thomas this morning, and I was able to not only find out who you were and where you lived, but that your parents are desperate for you to find some sort of meaningful occupation. While originally I only used this as an excuse to speak with you, I have recently been feeling the effects of my age and could use some assistance in my endeavours. I don't just divulge the secrets of my craft to anyone, you know. But if you do wish to work with me, I would be more inclined to give you the answers you seek. Lillian had trouble keeping up with the way Mr. Atkop spoke. It was like he was saying something very simple, but in the most complicated way he could find. She guessed from context that he was asking if she wanted to work with him. Tell me what that stuff is, and what it does, and then I'll tell you if I want to work with you. Smiling and seeming sure of himself, 
Mr. Atkop stood up. Let's walk. I always find my mind is clearer when on the move. The two walked through Ben Luna in silence for some time. Lillian had many more questions to ask, but she didn't want to pressure him. She guessed she was lucky enough to get this far. The pair were walking down a wide, cobbled lane past the blacksmith when Mr. Atticop stopped. He was looking into the smith's yard, watching Jacob and his son Varner working together by the fire. Lillian followed his gaze to see the two smiths, hammers in hands, striking a hot bar again and again. With each blow from the hammer, sparks would fly off the anvil. Everyone in town knew that Jacob was a genius when it came to working metal, and it seemed as though his son was learning very quickly. You see these two, Mr. Atticop finally spoke. They use the various tools available to them, the hammer, the anvil, and the fire. With these, they can produce beautiful, useful, or even dangerous things, yes? Lillian nodded, understanding so far. But in your hands, or mine, that hammer wouldn't do much good, would it? Lillian shook her head. She remembered dropping her father's hammer on her foot once. It hurt a lot, and certainly didn't produce anything beautiful, apart from a large bruise. Mr. Atticop continued. However, the hammer alone in the hands of even the most skilled blacksmith also would do no good, for the smith needs the fire and the anvil to use his skills effectively. Correct? Lillian nodded once more as they turned to leave. When they were out of sight of the smiths, and indeed anyone else, Mr. Atticop reached into his cloak and pulled out one of the bottles from last night. Even in the middle of the day, the liquid inside it shone brightly and illuminated his hand and face. He held it in front of Lillian and spoke. This is the hammer, the fire, and the anvil all at once. It is a powerful substance that needs great skill when being handled, or else the smith in question. He was cut off by a loud yelp from behind them. Varna's hand must have slipped and been hit in place of the metal. Atacop smiled, his point having been made. He whipped the small bottle away from Lillian's outstretched hand and hid it once again in his cloak. The two continued through the town. After some time, Lillian spoke up. I think I understand, but she couldn't put her finger on what she wanted to ask. But if the blacksmith is using tools to make a sword, say, what do you use the essence for? By now they had reached the square and were making their way towards the fox and octopus, Ben Luna's famous inn, run by Zander and Lini. Lillian realised then that in all the excitement she hadn't eaten breakfast, most unlike her, and was secretly hoping Mr. Atkop might buy her some rye bread and jam. Whilst Lillian's question was being mulled over in his head, Mr. Atkop opened the door to the inn and motioned her inside. He didn't like discussing these things in broad daylight. You never knew who was lurking around a corner. The inn was a large, soft room that smelt of last night's stale ale. Zander and Lini were busy cleaning the tables and surfaces, as well as removing a fancy-looking hat from the antlers of a stuffed deer's head behind the bar. Zander motioned for them to take a seat, which they gladly did to get out of the way. There are many answers to that question, said Mr. Atkop, once they had been brought some fresh pressed juice and warm bread. Just as there are many things that can be made by a talented blacksmith, indeed, the more talented the smith, the more possibilities there are. 
But if we move away from metaphors for a moment, I suppose it all boils down to just one thing. Power. Mr. Adcock's eyes flashed wide at this last word. Lillian felt like she was supposed to be impressed, but she still didn't really understand. Her face must have said as much because Atacop continued, One gains power when one has the advantage, yes? Like in Four Ladies. Lillian often played that particular card game with her classmates. Her father had taught her some special moves that meant she would almost always win. You can be a great player, but if someone else starts the game with more than two ladies, then it's almost impossible to win. Exactly, said Atacop. So, what the essence does is it gives you a strong advantage because it's all there in the bottle. He was getting excited, talking about this. Lillian got the impression he didn't really get many chances to do so. What's there? she asked, almost frantically now. What is it? What's in the bottles? Night. Mr. Adcock almost shouted the word, but caught himself at the last minute. There was a pause. Behind the bar, Xander had started whistling. Somewhere in the distance, Lini dropped a glass and a rude word tumbled from her mouth. Birds sang in the trees outside, the clouds parted, the sun shone, and Lillian raised a single eyebrow. Night, she repeated, hoping that Atkop would explain himself. Indeed. Tell me, what do you remember about yesterday evening? What did you see? What did you feel? Well... It was dark. Mr. Atcock raised a single finger, counting the first thing in Lillian's list. Yes, yes, what else? It was dark, but I could still see because of the moon. The moon was really big. A second finger went up. Good. Go on. Lillian thought for a second. I don't know. It was cold. A third finger. Lillian was quickly running out of things to say, but listing these things was triggering memories of the event. I remember listening to the water trickling down the streams and into the ponds. There were animals moving and making noise. The stars were beautiful, and the moon looked like it was touching the mountain. I remember the breeze rustling through the reeds, and how any time I wanted to focus on anything, I had to look really hard, and then keep looking, because the darkness kind of obscured it. Atacop's fingers were almost all up now, and he was smiling his enigmatic smile. He slowly began to reach into a hidden fold in his cloak. So all these things you've just listed, they all make up the night, correct? Lillian nodded. So night isn't just one thing. It's not just a time in the day. It's not just the absence of the sun and the presence of the moon. It's a huge series of sights, sounds and sensations. The bright bottle appeared in his hand once again. In this dark corner of the inn, the light was almost blinding. Atkop's face and beard were bathed in it. Lillian sat, amazed. It wasn't like anything she'd ever seen. It was light, there was no mistaking it. But it wasn't the warm light of a fire, or the bright, blinding light of the sun. It was as if Atkop was stood in a moonbeam in the middle of the day. At this distance, Lillian could see the bottle more closely too. It was clear-cut crystal, with an iron stopper in the shape of a crescent moon. Even without the silver liquid inside it, it would have been a beautiful thing. Again, she found her hand reaching out towards it. As she did so, Atacop spoke. 
There exist arts in this world that allow folk to channel elements of nature through their bodies and produce wondrous and even dangerous things. If someone was to channel the aspects of night, it would stand to reason that it would have to be nighttime. However, with this essence, one could channel the night at any time, even in the midday sun of the hottest desert. And thus, the possessor would have the advantage. The carrier of lunar essence in the day has power. Lillian's fingertips were almost touching the glass, but when they were just a hair's breadth away, Atacop closed his fingers tightly around the bottle, and the inn was plunged into darkness. Hello. Thank you for listening to episode two of Ben Luna. I sincerely hope you enjoyed it. My name is Simon Mader. I'm the writer and reader. The music was by Tom Figgins. If you're enjoying the podcast so far, we would humbly ask that you consider leaving a review for it on iTunes. Early reviews are invaluable for new podcasts and really are the best way to spread the word. If you don't feel like leaving a review, that's fine, but maybe consider tweeting about us at Ben Luna Podcast, or even just telling a friend. We really appreciate your support this early on in the adventure. For more information, you can visit benlunapodcast.com. Thank you again for listening. We'll see you in episode three.